Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show and maybe even jump your story in the line, or maybe even read stories with me, or maybe you have a story you would like to read to me, head on over to Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the 40k podcast where you get to write the script. Hey everybody, I'm your host Mark, and joining me today we got Will. How's it going? Hey there, good to be with you, good to be with you man. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, you are the author of uh, Red Hand Weeps. We've read two of your short stories, so I'm excited to talk about that a little bit. And then also you have another story that you're going to share with us today called uh, A Jakari Walk. A Jukari, a walk on the promenade. Yeah, well, I didn't want to uh, take away from Dylan's joy of having to read my complicated words. <laughs> yeah, so no, no. I thought, yeah, we wouldn't want to take that away from him. He loves the like, no, fourteen syllable words for door <laughs> or some other madness. Um, <laughs> and so, so this this piece actually is is an aside because a red hand weeps is kind of its own standalone piece, but originally it was part of a, a bigger thing. Mm-hmm. So I actually end up collapsing it down into being a far more kind of smaller self-contained story. And so yeah, this yeah. walk on the promenade actually was originally the introduction of an entirely separate character who was going to be involved in that. Okay. It's kind of branched off into its own thing. A little side so it's character. Kind of, yeah, it's like a side character introduced a little bit of a, a side of life thing. So it doesn't directly impact, but it's, you know, it's still set in the same universe. I mean, yeah. that's where we all play, isn't it? We all play in the, the 40K universe. Yeah. Um, you were talking a little bit about like just writing the story like you're a very good author do you write any other fiction or do you only write 40k fiction like how experienced are you well strangely enough a red hand weeps is probably the longest project I've stuck with this far and one of the things I think about um listener lore actually is it's, it's a great motivator because like I can't leave you and Dylan hanging I've got to actually finish this <laughs> no no you can't so, so that's that's a, a great motivator as well so it genuinely is actually probably my longest piece of work so far that's kind of an ongoing actually being completed project okay but cool. no I don't I don't normally write at all actually do you do a lot of reading yeah uh oddly enough my my job uh this is a bit random but my uh, reason out why I enjoy this is um, I actually work in the rare book trade. Okay. Spe- yeah, and I, <laughs> I I specialize in books on the occult. Whoa. So, okay. Yeah. So I actually deal with a huge amount of incredibly wordy bullshit. Wow. Which is probably where I get a lot of these words from. So yeah. So my my day to day life is kind of seeped in the esoteric and this very kind of poetic language. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. you know crazy bullshit about the ethereal and spiritual <laughs> stuff like that yeah like so, it, it very clearly bleeds into your writing like it it comes off it's just so good i really enjoy it. i can't wait to see what this new story brings for us um red hand weeps how many chapters do you think it's going to be um we're you've got chapter three now 
chapter four is basically in the editing stage. It should wrap up by chapter six. I didn't want it to be too long. Yeah. But we're basically after chapter three, you're at your midpoint. Yeah. And kind of, there are there are some rules I try and follow whenever I'm writing, especially when it's like a mystery book. I was always a fan of like um, Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that. And one of the reasons I liked that was because it treated you intelligently. It's like as a as a reader, it's like when the mystery was revealed, you're like, oh, I know who all these people are. And I've yeah. been told all this information and now it's been put together for me. Yeah. And so you didn't feel like someone was like pulling the rug out from under you? Yeah, it wasn't like a Game of Thrones ending where everyone's like, what the fuck was that? You know, yeah, like, exactly. none of that even made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that kind of like, oh, I just need to finish it. Because like, if at the end of your story, you're like, no, hey, it's Bob did it. And you've never fucking heard <laughs> of Bob. You don't know who Bob is. And it's like, well, then, then kind of like, you're just not treating your audience with any sort of respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it even kind of goes to for like authors who write about things that they don't know about, like an author who writes a, a story about guns, but he doesn't even know what ammunition is. You know what I mean? And and yeah. you can tell, you can tell you're, oh, you're, you're treating me like an idiot here. Like you don't know what you're doing. This is just yeah. slapped together. So yeah, that, that's yeah. very interesting. So you were kind of saying like in the first three chapters of like your story, like all the details will be revealed and then it's kind of... By, by the end of chapter three, maybe by the end of by the end of chapter three, you should have kind of all like the the broad brushstrokes. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least giving you the hints towards everything that is going on and who is involved. Yeah, like the main by bad the, guy isn't going to pop up in chapter six. No, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Uh, basically, by the end of chapter four, you have as much information as any of the characters have. Yeah, and then chapter five is basically it all coming out and then chapter six is the repercussions yeah this, so this is this is a cool little thing that uh you you kind of taught me here is just to look for this in storytelling um especially with the mystery like you know look for the the information in the first half and you know really be aware of it and then the, the rest <laughs> you can kind of just try to piece it together um it's very interesting to kind of look at stories in different chunks or even when you watch tv shows you know you you know mm. when that TV show has gone on seven seasons too long, you know, and they just don't have, oh God, yeah. you know, uh, so it, yeah. I like doing that with TV shows, looking how many seasons there are. Okay. Let's see how many of these are actually going to be an actual story that they thought of. And then the rest is just slapped on. Yeah. If, whenever you, whenever you see like a series that like derived from a book or some other media and you're yeah. like, well, the book is like good for this long. And now they've gone twice as long. You just know the writers are desperately trying to keep this thing going somehow. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Yeah. It's like when they're the Hobbit into three films <laughs> and you're like, oh, dude, I just feel sorry for jeez, you. My God. Oh, God. It's like, you know, like <laughs> Tolkien, Tolkien did not expect his like one reference to like breakfast to turn into a, a 45 minute scene involving songs. And, jeez. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Not not a fan of that one, but what do you what do you do? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. do we want to jump into your story? Sure, let's jump into it. Bit of a kind of a side story. It's set, of course, in the Drakari kind of world. That's kind of what I enjoy. That's my bag in 40k. I've been playing them since they first came out in third edition. They've been my my army for ages and ages. Anything spiky with guns, <laughs> big fan. Yeah. So yeah, so hopefully um, people who are fans of the 40k lore and especially they like comes on the the elder races they will pick up on bits and pieces here and there where i always try and reference mm. something greater um yeah. so that people kind of like can recognize it and kind of you know in a way they because if you know the law yourself we want to reward you a little bit by hinting at stuff that you know speaks yeah. of more 
So yeah, yeah. sure, let's jump into it then. It, it's been interesting, like not a lot of people write about Dark Eldar, but every time it's written about, it's always rem- remember, memorable, like every time. Cool. Um, it's just something There's about so them. There's so much to yeah. play with. Yeah. And There's like, so much to play with. It's like, sorry, I interrupted you there. Uh, and it's like I'm I'm I like all of 40k but I'm not like a Dark Eldar fan but like every time I get so absorbed into every aspect of them it's so weird it's like I don't think to look there but then when I do I'm always pleasantly surprised and disgusted (laughs) (laughs) oh well that's it there's so much to play with because like you've got the homunculus covens who just do all your Frankenstein shit you've got your witches who are just no your sexy murderers You've got your cabals, all your political intrigue guys. Yeah, and, and your gangsters and shit. Like... Yeah, you're like skyboard flying gangsters <laughs> and you know, your drug dealers and your mercenaries. <laughs> and it was one of the reasons I, I wanted to set a murder mystery in a world where people can be reincarnated. It was like, yeah. well, what, like, what is the point of killing someone if you know, they're rich enough or they've got enough contacts, they can just kind of come back and you know, basically come back and kick the <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So how do you kill someone, for one thing? So that, that's part of what a Red Hand Wheat is all about. It's like, well, yeah. actually, how do, you, how do you kill them? Like, what's the point? Mm, how does it yeah, serve yeah. her? But I don't want to go into that. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a Drakari, a walk on the promenade. In the unfathomable vastness of the pocket universe that made up the cancerous capital of the Jakari race, it was rare for any place to be considered uh, crowded. Gatherings of any notable size would only occur to greet the return of notable slave raids or the Colosseums during blood games. Such gatherings and risking minglings of those with various alliances they entailed were rare except for the Grand Promenade where it was always busy. The stone slab that made up the wide walkway were interrupted by jetting spiked spires. Their purpose ostensibly being to discourage Hellions from using the wide space as racetracks. Each spire was as many stories high, studded along the length with wicked barbed spikes. In the perpetual twilight cast by the captured suns, figures could be seen hanging, even the superlative eyesight of the Jukari would be hard pressed to tell if those hanging figures had been flung there for some great from flung there from even greater heights during the games between Hellion gangs, or if they were occupied by gargoyles, still scourge information traders, watching the comings and goings of the ground bound kin. Sifting the vastness of movement below for any information that others might pay well to know. A steady flow of bodies flowed along the walkway, the walkway of the Grand Promenade. A mix of Jakari, alien, and mercenaries, slave servants, and others who, through some misfortune, had been deposited into Komoroth. The ebb and flow of traffic was mirrored by the river that stepped, seeped alongside. The canal was filled with perfumed narcotics and delicate contact uh, hallucinogenics as its web portal source near the flesh palace and towers of the cabals. With a constant thundering crash, the waterfall poured through a vast hovering webway gate, its unebbing flow harvested from an ancient maiden world seated during the heights of the Assyriani Empire. By the time it had run this far, it was dangerous, multicolored flow, polluted uniquely by each city quarter it had traveled through. It quickly became a dangerous mix of ascetic uh, uh, 
acidic off-run, which would eat away at anything which fell in. More than a few partially dissolved corpses floated in it now, but by the time it had passed, by the time the flow had passed, the homunculus covens further downstream, even the bones would have melted away. Along the riverbank squeezed between the jetties with their moored pleasure boats and idling venom craft, makeshift stands hosted traders of all types. Raid dealers offered the opportunities of work for all. High risks, small job rewards were all the Jakari without a cabal could really hope for. But everyone needs chits. What is chits? Um, chits, basically, currency. Point. Oh, okay. Is, is yeah. that like an actual Jakari thing? Um, if, if we want to go into a quick tangent, uh, <laughs> I'm absolutely... So one thing about the Jakari is the, the only thing that's of any value to is souls because yeah. you can keep them alive. It's the suffering of others. Yeah. And so one thing that occurred to me actually was what would the economy be in a world like that? And the only economy is slaves. And so I thought to myself, you know how like the US dollar used to be tied to the gold standard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had an idea the Trikari currency would be tied to the slave standard. Sure. And so you'd have chips. And so the old deal was like if you turn up at like the mint with $10, they give you $10 worth of gold. Yeah. So yeah, I do yeah. if you turn up with like 10 chits they give you 10 chits worth of the suffering of a slave yeah 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 and so the idea you actually have a currency which was tied to slaves and the okay. different cabal would have their own currencies so you know like like ten dollars might be worth like a thousand rupees or something yeah yeah so like no ten chits of the cabal of the dark heart with like no the vet own cabal like ten ten of those chits like worth a yeah. thousand of mr no shitheads cabal <laughs> down the road yeah 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 and it's kind of like, so you'd like to have different currencies which are valued depending on how many slaves you get for them. Yeah. And so chips are basically just a, a transfer rate that you can use to pay for currencies or pay Ooh. for services. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're running low on your own soul, yeah. you just go trade it in at a cabal and, you know, stab the shit out of some poor, poor monkey. <laughs> no, no. Just to, you know, top yourself up. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's a that's very a cool little... concept. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, that kind of leads into all this other stuff about you know, the greater world of it. I, just, yeah. I enjoy hinting where possible, but yeah, yeah, like I said, wild tangent, probably have a whole story just by itself about the economy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very cool. I, I really like that concept. Yeah, I always kind of pictured them carrying around like literal soul gems almost that they're trapping souls mm. in to kind of trade. And, you know, it's almost like a Visa tap card. You just tap them together. Yeah. So transfer, but yours is I, You know cool what? I'm glad to work that in. The idea of contactless pay payments with soul, like soul stones, <laughs> just like just tap and go. Yeah, That'd exactly. Yeah. Go, go <laughs> include that somewhere. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. I'm going to carry on. Uh, I just got, okay. There's my spot. Raid dealers offered the opportunity for of work for all high risk, Small reward jobs are all the Jakari without a cabal could really hopeful for, but everyone needs chits. Flanked by an ever-changing flock of scourges, delivering and receiving messages cylinders full of raid times, mercenary equipments, requirements, and more specialist opportunities for those in need of chits. A small cadre of Yunari cultists proclaimed their new faith to all who passed. They had even managed to amass a small crowd, offering them a new hope from the endless fear of she who thirsts. It was a sign of Overlord Vex's weakening grasp on his city that their bodies were not already hanging from the spikes high above. Trinket sellers brought and sold with little regard for who legitimately may have once owned the items in question. 
Some tried to pass off common gems as still fresh soul stones or weakly glowing blades as power swords taken from the barbarian Monkai. Rax worked in teams harvesting decomposing bodies from the canals with hook pikes, hooked pikes, avoiding the Helions who periodically dived down on the screaming skyboards to harass them before rising back up to mock, uh, mock fight amongst themselves. The banks teamed with those who sold to the lowest in the city. Rushing past, rushing past, eyes down, slaves ran about their master's business, being careful not to draw attention. Small groups of Drukari who talk, would talk as they walked, sharing gossip, while others glanced at the wares on the sale, searching for items of interest. All slave and Drukari alike parted before a small unit of bodyguards marching forward, splinter rifles held close to their chests, their off-white armor helms emblazoned with green teardrop gem, declaring their status and allegiance to the cabal of the silver blades. A tall but slightly built Jakari noble walked between them, his eyes focused on the back of the pair of Jakaris, studying a merchant's table of knives. Are you expecting company? The merchant asked her browsing customers, looking past them at the approaching group. The witch stopped playing with the daggers he had been balancing and turned to see who the merchant was referring to. Clayed in a crimson pale of, of segmented armour along one arm, and little else, her pale flesh was unscarred, indicating youth or skill. The ageless nature of the Drakari made it hard to discern which. Oh, look, he said to her companion, it's Mathranir. A gauntleted hand dropped to the hilt of an ever-present blast pistol, the other returning a throwing knife to the display. Reborn again, her companion responded. They both turned fully to face the subject of their conversation. Reborn again, he answered himself. Will his father never get bored of wasting souls on that well? With a wry smile, Talia shook her head in response. Her long crimson braid mimicked the movement, rippling along her exposed back. Mathranir strode towards them, flanked all around by his bodyguard. As he walked, his delicate lace robes parted to reveal the fine ghost plate armor he wore underneath. The hilt of a venom blade visibly sheathed at his waist. The bodyguards began to fan out, pulling all around to the side, clearing a space and forming a circle of spectators as bustling shoppers paused to discover the source of the commotion. Isenrad and Talia found themselves facing the true-born noble alone, surrounded by a ring of curious onlookers. Well, this is your fight, said Talia. Not mine, but I'll watch your back. Isenrad raised an eyebrow at her words. She grinned back at him. I'll watch your back. She kissed him lightly on the tattoo of a bleeding heart on his cheek, but I didn't say I'd do anything. Well, I might take that nice pistol off your corpse. With that, she jauntily skipped back to join the crowd of spectators. The two Drukhari stood in the clear circle, facing one another, the true-born noble and the exile. Blaze only, you coward, Mathenria shouted, gesturing towards his bodyguards, who would readily enforce this rule of his. By the dark muses, again, Isonrand reluctantly took his hand off his blast pistol 
and drew his sword, a long straight blade, no sheen of poison, no soft flicker of inlaid technology, just a midnight black that ate the light about it, giving off no reflection. His action was mirrored by the trueborn, who drew and held in guard before him a curved venom blade, a thickly green edge promising a painful certain death from even the shallowest of nicks. It's your turn to die, Ismrad, but never fear, I shall have you brought back by the clumsiest homunculus in my father's employ. I will keep your malformed incarnation in a small box beside my throne to waste away before my eyes. Ismrad twirled his black blade. You always did talk too much. Maybe that's why you could never keep your plot secret. Why didn't you take this fight up with the people who hired me? You had no right to become involved in the politics of your betters. Do you know what your meddling cost me? You pry and prick around the plans of those far above you, Methran shouted back, enraged. Poison will burn your veins for your sins. Isenrad stood still as the noble started towards him. With just over two sword lengths separating them and a slow advance turned into a charge, an attempt to catch his opponent off guard. What might have seemed to be a wild lunge was pulled just short. Rather than an attack, it was an attempt to force a rushed reaction. Resisting the urge to accept the invitation to lunge forward, Isenrad parried and faced down the charge. The second strike was delivered with the same careless abandon, forcing another parry. Isenrad continued to block blow after blow, carefully sidestepping to reposition himself in the center of their field of battle. This new style was confusing, very unlike the Trueborn's method he had faced down numerous times before. The wild attacks invited multiple counterattacks. Perhaps uh, Masson Ranier has faith in his ghost plate armor to protect him from any counterblow? Masson Ranier turned each block into another spinning attack, sacrificing finesse for raw speed. He spun toward Isenrad, sweeping his sword in a wide and low arc. Isenrad stepped backwards to avoid the relentless onslaught. Despite turning aside each strike, he was being forced back. Cautiously, he refused to take advantage of the numerous openings in his, his opponent offered him. A wild straight thrust came or caused him to pivot and spin away, letting Missinranier's momentum carrying him forward. The very tip of the thrusting venom blade nicked the face of one of the onlookers who began shrieking as their flesh was eaten away. <laughs> oh no. Isran stepped aside to avoid the, the backswing as his opponent came back at him. These wild swings were too wild, just a touch of exaggeration to each swing. Even Missinranier was not that bad as, as a swordsman but he was just as dangerous and deceitful as any Jakari. Isenran caught the swing of Messinranian's venom blade upon his own black blade, fix, fixing them for a moment. Taking advantage of this split second, he stepped inside Messinranian's guard and delivered a blow with a flat of his hand. He felt the force of the blow dissipate as if it was striking a body of viscous liquid. He felt it rem uh, embrace his hand and resist him. This movement of unbalance was almost enough. A slight slowness forced upon him as he was overwhelmed by the force holding his hand uh, to pull it back had almost cost him his head. Ezenrand was forced to turn his delicate disengage, uh, disengage into a full backwards retreat, drop to one knee to duck a blow and turning it into a backwards roll. 
this was the trick. The ghost plate, the ghost plate armor was not the only defense this trueborn had bought, brought to the fight. He also wore, wore an Obeck field. This device would absorb any physical force and turn energetically solid. The greater the force, the more solid the field in the grip. While even a basic splinter pistol would have enough energy to overwhelm the delicate generators that such that powered such a device, his unaugmented blows or sword sword blows would not. If he tried to land a blow, it would most likely become trapped at the point of impact, leaving him helpless. Misenran's wild attacks continued as Eisenran's Eisenrad played for a time, thinking to trying to think of a suitable counter. These attacks no longer felt careless, but rather confident. Eisenrad blocked another blow as he clumsily regained his feet. Eisenrad threw his sword unexpectedly at Mazenrad's Mazen, <laughs> these names, man. I love them. I'm butchering them. <laughs> Mazenrad's face as a desperate distraction as he fought to give himself space to act. The flying sword was e easily battered down by the venom blade, hitting the stone, the stone at his armored feet. This gave Eisenrad his mo movement moment. His right hand came flying up, palm open, striking the back of his opponent's sword hand. The Obeck field was activated, slowing the strike and sticking the strike in its place, solidifying Eisenrad grip, Eisen, Eisenrad's grip before the left arm forearm came striking down on the elbow joint before wrapping under Masenranier's arm to grab his own wrist. The limbs locked together in a knot of joints, bound by grip and ancient technology. The venom blade stayed locked in the extended arms of its two struggling fighters, helplessly held in Masenranier's trapped hand. Eisenrad tr twisted quickly while also dropping to one knee, bringing his opponent to the floor and, and stopped the struggling Trueborn from being able to bring his other hand around to take hold of the venom blade. So no new skill, just new trick, Ethan Rad goaded, brutally straightening his arms, increasing the pressure on the back of the opponent's elbow, until with a satisfying crack, he felt it break. With a wordless cry of rage and pain, Masranir helplessly dropped his blade. Ethan Rad twisted the limp arm even more, forcing the screaming Drakari noble's face into the floor before he untangled his arm slowly, allowing his grip and the grip of the energy field to release them both as he stood. stood. Mathranir spat obscenities, rolling on the floor while hugging his broken arm close. I will eat your soul, Ismarad. I will hear your screams for a hundred years. I flay you from my bedsheets. I will turn your feet into doorstops, your hands into door handles. I will decorate my chamber with your body. Ignoring the vicious threats, Ismarad flicked up his sword with a boot tip from where it lay. Dropping down to straddle his prone enemy, he hovered the blade over the ghost plate armor, staring into his opponent's face. This will be the 13th time I have killed you, Ithanraz said tiredly. Can you not let this ridiculous vendetta go? It isn't my fault that you didn't know how to keep your secrets better. They killed her because of you, a slight tremor of Mathranir's lip revealed the deep current of pain which ran beneath the hate. Because of you. No, Israd responded. They killed her because of you, leaning close, he hissed, because you were too weak to protect her. 
The only response was a sobbing cry and incoherent threats, followed by some vicious blows from the still good arm to Isenrad's head. The true-born noble was too consumed with impotent rage to listen, let alone respond coherently. His squinting eyes went wide as he felt the tip of the black blade slowly begin to press past his ghost plate. Ignoring the ringing blows to his head, Isenrad slowly pressed the blade down, gently enough not to trigger the Ublek field. Inextricably, the blade bit into the flesh beneath the energy field and armor. The stream of threats turned into a constant high-pitched scream of pain, and the blade finally bit into flesh. Isenrad panted, punched over the pommel of his black sword. The blade had hit stone and stopped, so heard the screaming. He took the risk of catching his breath before pulling himself to his feet. The crowd had already begun to move on. The entertainment concluded. Up above, some scourges would already be winging their way through the city to sell news of what had happened to interested parties. I think he's dead, Talia dryly commented, emerging from the dispersing crowd to stand beside him. Do you think he'll ever stop? The bodyguards, who had watched over the combat without interference, approached the corpse of their charge. In less than a cycle, her homunculus of his father's cabal would be working to bring Mathranir back to life. His soul would be dragged back from the brink of the Imperium, the hellish afterlife that awaited all Jakari souls, unfortunate enough to die in full. One of the bodyguards motioned them away as Talia looked longingly at the dropped venom sword before it too was collected along with the corpse. Isenrad and Talia both stepped away to allow the bodyguards to collect the body. Why hasn't he just paid someone to kill you? Talia queried. He needs to do it himself. On the one hand, his father would never let him. It would be too embarrassing to have the son of the great and mighty Archon of the Silver Blades admit that he cannot kill an exiled questioner. Probably even more embarrassing than it being revealed that his son had fallen in love with a monkin slave. On the other hand, well, I just don't think he'll be able to forgive himself until he does. Talia smirked at his response, all because he fell in love with an animal. Huh. Well, do you think we can get back to our own purposes now? We need to find some paying work. Who knows? If we find a good job, you might be able to buy a real sword. Hey, there's nothing wrong with my sword. It cuts like anything else. A raised eyebrow and sarcastic look was her own response. Well, give me your chips in the next job and I'll buy a real sword. How about that? He replied defensively. Now, how about we go over to that raid dealer who's watching and sort out a job? Wow, that was sweet, man. That was a very cool story. Um, right, right. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm thinking where to start. Uh, the plot twist at the end that he fell it, or yeah, he fell in love with a with a human. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty nice. It's like a nice little thing. Um, yeah, that uh -huh. whole the whole character development. You know, you see this guy coming back wishing revenge and like on him and he's died 13 times now trying but he's never gonna fucking stop yeah that that was kind of the whole point of this i thought was you've got all these vendettas and all these grudges yeah but unless they're really really good at it they're gonna come back they're gonna yeah. keep coming especially basically if you're unlucky enough to be basically some poor common guy like this guy is yeah yeah you yeah. off the wrong person yeah who they're is gonna keep literally like forever yeah unkillable yeah 
that's such yeah. a cool concept, man. Like, I really like how you kind of implemented that. You just really tie together so many aspects of the Dakar, even if it's a subtle nod here or there. Like, um, it's just super nice. Like, even when you you were painting the city at the beginning, the description of all the activity that was happening, you know, you got your Helions every now and again harassing some other people and uh, the canal, man, the fucking canal of narcotics. Yeah. There, there's um, a wonderful maxim in writing, which is, you know, why use one word when you can use 10? <laughs> it's almost like the, you overemphasize, you, kind of, you go into more detail than you need to sometimes yeah. just because you want to really try and set it and have its own, I suppose, in, in the best one, kind of a certain poetry to it. And mm-hmm. so I had this idea of a canal, but you're in the middle of the webway. Where's this canal coming from? <laughs> and so the idea you have basically a webway gate that is just, you have this canal crashing through a webway gate that's yeah. basically been harvested off of some sort of maiden world. And they've got this kind of lovely waterfall coming through and they just yeah. get all this crap and poison and dead bodies and shit as it blows through the capital and then get basically dumped back out of webway gate again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ruining some other poor world that's now just <laughs> getting all that. So it's like their their sewer system is basically just like yeah. dumping it onto some poor backward world. <laughs> that's so funny. Like I when we did the uh exodite listener lore episode, we came up with yeah. this concept where it's like, yeah, they had a webway porter and they just flooded planets because they were like an underwater ex- underwater exodite kind of people. So yeah, they'd open up that portal, the the rivers would just flood the whole world and yeah. Yeah. And that that's kind of yeah, so I just think, I, how do you I, have that in a world where it's not a world? It's yeah. just kind of walkways and towers and yeah mad geographies it's cool how we both came to a similar conclusion i wonder what other kind of cool ways webway portals can be utilized you know oh yeah there's there's a whole thing that i actually cut from this because it was too long but we're talking about the the commas got all the suns they have the the captured suns that yeah. they kind of basically raid and do sun rays and take an entire sun and then dump it into commerce basically light the place up yeah, and there was a bit like dropped about that about how how do you keep time in a place like that, and the way you keep time would that be based on when suns eclipse other suns? Okay, and the idea being that you know it be you no, know, it's a huge undertaking to basically go nick someone's sun. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> various when it was time for to get a new sun, various cabals would basically compete to do it because you got to name it after your cabal. Ah. which meant that for millennia, people would be telling the time, would have to be referring to your cabal as well. So it's like yeah. this fame prestige thing. Yeah. And so there'd be all of that part. So part of you know, the, how do you get a sun through a webway gate? <laughs> yeah. And the idea that, you know, you could just you know, take a sun out of anywhere, but how much more fun would it be to take a sun from the center of a habit, like inhabited system? <laughs> like you have a couple of town like colony worlds. You're like, no. well, you know what? We're gonna no. take their sun. Take why the town? Ah, because why not? Uh, <laughs> little blue weirdos. Uh, but just like you can imagine for them the suffering of entire wells going dark and freezing to death must yeah. be incredibly good for them. Yeah. So the cabal that pulls it off is gonna be like you know, everyone's got to like say thanks for the new sun. They're going to have to maybe <laughs> talking about you every time they want to tell the time from then on. Yeah. And you get to basically harvest the death and suffering of entire worlds in one go. That's so cool. 
Uh, so it must be like a really, <laughs> really big deal. You know, everyone wants that, right? You want yeah. the other cabals knowing how great you are. Yeah. Yeah, like that's probably the biggest prize. Yeah, like literally having a son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And other knowing that, you know, for thousands of years, people are going to have to tell the time by you. <laughs> uh, there's um, just so much there to play with. Yeah. That black blade was pretty cool. What, was it literally just like a basic black blade, essentially? I, I like that you kind of described it was so black it absorbed the light around it. But was it, did it have anything yeah. special to it? Well, the idea to, this actually ties in a bit to the um, Exodites. So the idea for this originally, and because it's not actually coming now, I'll kind of tell you a little bit about it. The idea was that Isenrad originally was going to be an Exodite exile. That's how he ends up in Comora. So he's not like, Comra born Drakari. Yeah, okay. Um, and the idea of him being a questioner, because my thought was effectively, what's the kind of Drakari equivalent of like a private eye? Oh, it's like you're not this. gonna you can't trust anyone from the city, right? Because everyone's yeah. got their own agenda. The only person you could possibly trust is someone who doesn't have an agenda for anyone, and that everyone equally despises. <laughs> and so the idea of an exiled expedite who yeah. basically used to be a ranger or a hunter, or basically someone who was practiced in exploring and uncovering things yeah and he basically found work as basically a private detective in Comora. that's so cool and that's kind of so that's what's hinted at when he's talking to this guy about like him basically saying why can't you leave other people's secrets alone mm. so it hints at the idea that actually at some point ah. he was investigating this guy and uncovered that he was having an affair yeah and he holds and so of course no Idenrad uncovered this whole thing it came out the yeah. monk and slave, of course, got killed. brutally murdered. Yeah, exactly. You know, sorry, <laughs> no. splash, but something horrific. Yeah, and of course, Math Rainier, for him, it was like, no, this is someone he's fallen in love with, and this guy just came along, poking in and asking questions, and then basically revealing his secret. Yeah, and kind of what I wanted in a way is everything hints it isn't around being like you no know, the protagonist, but I didn't want him being a good guy. Yeah, because like basically he's got he's totally amoral. Yeah, he yeah. knew he would have known what was going to happen, right? But he just didn't care. His job was to uncover secrets. He uncovered the secret, be yeah. damned with the consequences. Yeah, he's not so, even from Cormorant anyway, so he's like, fuck yeah. it, whatever. Doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. And so it was kind of, I was trying to look at some of the, the classic kind of tropes and break them a little bit. And one yeah. of the other big classic tropes is the hero always has a magic sword. <laughs> and so I thought, you know what? No, Isenrath just got a basic bitch sword. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. That's it. Yeah. And so I kind of, in a way, I wanted to hint at it being something like super cool. But no, it's actually just a really dirty black sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's almost that I did want to hint at like, oh, maybe it's this thing. And then you yeah. kind of break the trope later. Yeah. And like you, you, you didn't make him rely on that sword in the fight. Like, yeah, he may have killed the guy with the sword at the end, but like. Yeah, that's not what it, did it. It was the whole, you know, trap in the hand in the old black field using his his mind really to outplay his. Opponent. Yeah. And that could it could be like, oh, this amazing black sword cuts through everything. You know, where's yeah. it from? Is it a chrome sword? You could like go, but that's like really like high fantasy. This is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want this to be dirty. Yeah, it it's felt like you've very got, gritty. Yeah, and and kind of that, and also like his best friend is basically a witch who very honestly says, if you get killed, I'm nicking your shit. <laughs> it's, it's like I quite her as the character was just almost this like the closest I think you get to Drakari comic relief, which is yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna rob your corpse which then is hilarious, I guess. Which I think this is something that, uh, man, I read a lot of 40K short stories and sometimes they're just grim, dark and depressing. And like, if you don't have that element of that 40K comic relief, like, 
I try to tie that into everything that I do. Like, for example, like my Space Marine chapter, I, I, I don't want to get into it, but you know, you, you tie little elements of humor to cut yeah. through that. Holy fuck. Otherwise, I don't want to be in 40K. I don't want to relate to... It's too, too heavy all the time. You've got to have yeah. a palate cleanser every now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this so was like, that perfect little side character, you know, comes in, makes a couple quips. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed it. it. Cut the kind of playful, kind of coy, but also the idea for her again in a great story is she's basically a bit of a kleptomaniac. Basically, <laughs> she just basically, we all are, though. Yeah, but you know, if you ever play D&D, you always have the one character, like the the kind of the battle's ended, and that one character's like, right, I'm losing all the corpses. And that basically <laughs> is her. It's like yeah. she's always looking for corpses. And yeah. so even at the end, when like that venom blade is sitting on the floor, she's kind of <laughs> eyeing it up. Yeah. And the bodyguards have to come in and get it before she tries <laughs> to nick it. What are you going to do but, with 73 leather chest plates <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly cool but yeah so it's just, i always try to make sure the characters have got a backstory that can yeah. appear a little bit because that yeah. gives them a personality even if you don't explicitly state the backstory yeah yeah you always yeah. want to have it informing how they're interacting because that makes well, them feel alive makes them feel real yeah even when you're like explaining it out like i can see like oh yeah you did drop that one word there that was that subtle clue where if you read it two or three times you would pick up on it you know like that gives that little bit about their backstory. The questioner. What is a questioner? Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. And that one we word. To, yeah, yeah. It's like in in the main story, you have uh, the homunculus, and he got like references. I think in one bit he talks about having the brainstem in a jar. The last <laughs> yeah. time, like his old cabal sent some assassins to try and get him. <laughs> And just having them like every now and then just kind of reference a bit of a backstory. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up. Kind of like you come up with these great backstories and you kind of you lose them unless you either force your core audience to read through a page that looks <laughs> like, a, looks like a, a wikipedia entry or yeah. you just like find places to drop it here and there and just see where it fits in yeah very cool yeah uh my final thought on this was just that old black mm. field um is that yeah. a real dark elder device or is that your um, it's actually based on. Do you know um, non-Newtonian fluids? Yeah, that's yeah, literally exactly what that. I was thinking. So originally, that's when it exactly. happened, I thought he took like some type of narcotic and literally like turned himself into the jelly, and then the ghost plate was like holding <laughs> his jelly form. <laughs> oh, that that would be excellent. I don't know how I would have written that, but that's a great idea. That's a wonderful like image. Yeah, but but, but... I, I like the energy field too, man. Like you did it in such a cool way, whereas such a plot point man getting past that well uh I, i'm glad you liked it because an ublek field the ublek that literal that is what it's called it's a mix of cornstarch and water and it's that kind of fluid that the harder you hit the more solid it gets yeah so i thought to myself you know shikari they would have come up and also the fact that ublek sounds like a weird made up alien name. <laughs> yeah, <just> like, yeah. <laughs> it's like why come up with something else i'm just going to use ublek yeah yeah it, it sounds alien right no, it sounds um, perfect. Yeah. I just wanted something a bit different. One of the nice things again about 40k world is they give you a great kind of framework to then build on as well. Yeah. They always give you an especially the Drukari, you know, ancient weird technology. You can yeah. as long as you can justify it within your world, you can basically have anything in there. As long as you don't Pretty break much. your own rules. Yeah. I think that's a big one as well. If you can accept the rules of the world, you're making mm-hmm. a contract with your audience again. You're saying, look, these are the rules. Yeah. If you buy into them, I will kind of not break them. Yeah. And it, so you've got to kind of at least give a justification for a thing or explain it a little bit and have it 
kind of yeah. sync up with the world. Well, this is kind of one thing that has always bugged me about like any any uh, franchise, anything you know, forty k is where the the people have made rules for forty k. The unknown legions, they're unknown. We're never gonna know what they yeah. are. That's yeah, a rule yeah, of forty k. Yeah. Don't go writing yeah. about them because it it doesn't matter. It's not fitting the story. That's now not 40k that's now your version of 40k uh and people do this all the time with settings where they come into it and they ignore the rules of the setting that have mm -hmm. been there and it's like without those rules it's all pointless and i know it doesn't seem like and it, these rules may be arbitrary you know mm -hmm. we don't have fucking female space marines it was an arbitrary decision 30 years ago but here we are today but that is the rule of the setting and we have to abide by these rules if we want to actually write good stories in the setting one of the things i think sometimes we we forget is actually when you're trying to be creative and make something having artificial restrictions can really help you yeah because when it's like when you've got too much choice you can't make a decision yeah it's like harry and, potter magic where it's like yeah there is no there's no rules to it it's just whatever spell they want for that spe specific moment they will have <laughs> yeah which is just so fucking annoying <laughs> yeah it's just uh, like, okay Okay. Yeah, no, I, I like the fact you've got rules, because it also means mm. that you yourself have got to be intelligent about working within it. Yeah. It's um, uh, Breaking Bad is one of my favorite series. And one of the reasons for it is the writers talk about how what they do is they'd write themselves into really difficult situations and then they have to work out how to get themselves out of it. <laughs> and they couldn't break the rules. They had to work with the rules. Yeah. They had. Like, right, we're in a camper van. We're locked inside. Hank's outside. He's got a gun. We've got nothing. <laughs> How do we get out of this situation? So it means they've got to be inventive. Yeah, yeah. And because like, they are so restricted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like and that also, for us who are watching it, we feel respected because they're not just pulling something out of their ass we're then exactly. supposed to accept. Because you know, if Walt Whitman then suddenly pulled out a wand and started doing Harry Potter magic, like, wait, you've broken all the rules, yeah. all the agreements about what world we're in, yeah. all our expectations. We don't think you're clever. We just feel like we've been let down. Exactly. Man, yeah. this was a fucking fantastic episode. It's honestly one of my favorite ones I've done on Listener Lore. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for having um, me on, man. Uh, I'm glad we got to look at some more of the Drakari well. There is so much yeah. to play with there. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you've got something other than, you no. Know, Men, giant men with steroids and armor, which <laughs> yeah, you know, I enjoy. I enjoy, but I've always been a fan of my glass cannons. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so the more unbalanced Drakari are in whatever edition of 40k we're playing, the happier I am. <laughs> the more crazy and bizarre the rules are. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Give me, give me all the the two up and vulnerable saves that fail on the first time you roll dice on them. Yeah, so for me, I, I've been a player as well as you no know, a fiction enthusiast no I, I still remember when the forest heresy the first one came out yeah and here we are like like Christ, like 15 20 years later they're yeah finally it's... wrapping up the siege of terror it's madness man i remember when it yeah. first came out i'm like wow we should have all the models in like a year or two shouldn't we <laughs> it's crazy isn't it? i was naive oh, and young uh well fantastic <laughs> we one. thank you will for joining us thanks for hey. sharing keep writing man you're truly a, a really great writer Oh, cheers, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, I hope you and Dylan enjoy part three. I'll get editing part four. So you guys aren't waiting too long for the conclusion to that mystery. <laughs> but uh, thanks for having me on. Enjoy uh, enjoy Island Life. And I'll keep yeah. an eye out for more podcasts from you guys. Sounds good.
Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you want to support the show, don't forget to go to Patreon, throw me a dollar or two. Uh, it really helps a lot, makes me motivated to continue to give my time to this. Um, while I do enjoy it, you know, a little monetary compensation is always nice. So don't forget to toss me a couple bucks. Patreon, Lorehammer Listener Lore. And thanks for listening. We'll see you all on the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode.